Hey baby, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. But we do pretend that it all makes sense. Because it does all make sense. We do not pretend that it all makes sense. But sometimes we pretend like we're happy when we're depressed. That's true, but we're not doing that right now. No, we're actually both pretty good right now. Yeah, look at them singing tunes. Look at us, Mercury retrograde in the waning stages of eclipse season. My car was broken into yesterday and we've still got smiles on our face. Oh, Thanks wah, wah. to ice cream. <laughs> Brandon's obsessed with ice cream. Well, these days, guys. now that I'm sober, there's just ice cream. He's and, found a new vice. Well, and I was lactose intolerant for a really long period of time, so I never let myself enjoy ice cream. And now I'm realizing that in small doses, I can handle it just fine. And y'all, I know I'm really, really late to this party, but ice cream is amazing. <laughs> oh, jeez. And that's all. <laughs> hey, there's this new thing. Y'all Maybe you've heard try? of it. Ice cream? Brandon walks in last night to dinner. To meet us, you know, so that we could sit down for dinner, finishing an ice cream cone that he'd picked up on his dog walk. It was hysterical. I mean, my car was broken into, like I said, and I wanted to do something nice for myself. And I had to go to bed early. So it was like ice cream before dinner or no ice cream at all. And I was like, treat yourself, girl. So it was just one scoop. It was very sweet. Was and it you did, sweet? I don't know. Was it? I didn't have any. He didn't bring me home any ice cream. Because you would have been like, I don't want ice cream. I'm about to eat dinner. I know, I would have had it after. Oh, well, I wanted to eat it out of a cone. I like really wanted the experience of like licking an ice cream cone while walking the dog at sunset. Like I needed that whole cinematic moment. And I'm glad you had it. It was beautiful. The sky was the same color as my strawberry ice cream. Oh, beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, We should talk about who we are first. Oh, right. Right? Yes, let's if do it. If you're just tuning in. For the very first time. I'm Brandon Alter. I am a healer. I'm a tarot reader and a teacher. And I'm also a performer and a writer. And I am married to this handsome man sitting across from me who is... Angel Lopez. And I am a writer and a film producer. And I am an astrologer. And I love all those things equally. And how are you, babes? Let's do a little check-in. I am pretty good right now. I'm yeah. crazy busy. You are. You are in post-production on Bad Hair, the latest Justin Simeon film. I am. If you have been an avid listener of the show, you may remember from uh, some of the first episodes we were in production on this movie, and we talked about it a bit, and then we had Justin on uh, for a spirit talk. And now we are in the final stages of the movie, and it's really exciting. It's so exciting. I can't wait to see it. It's super fun just uh, seeing all the visual effects and the sound and the music, which is really, really great. Um, our composer, Chris Bowers, just got nominated for an Emmy because he did the music for When They See Us, which is the four-part limited series on Netflix about the Central Park Five, which if you have not watched, you should because it's phenomenal. Um, and his music is phenomenal. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, we've just been busy with that pretty much every day on top of, you know, being a spiritual spiritualista out in the world and uh, doing my own writing, working on some projects and actually writing them right now, which has been really fun. 
and I'm super excited about them. I just want to be doing it all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm into it. And yeah, just feeling much more uh, confident and comfortable in my skin. You know, we've been going through a retrograde phase and uh, this intense eclipse season. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say I haven't felt this way the entire time. I've definitely struggled with some insecurity beliefs, particularly around my creativity. Uh, but I have gotten, I think, much better about just reaching out to people when I'm in that space, because in the past, I would just sort of swirl within myself and talk it to death and just perpetuate the negative feelings. And I've really pushed myself out of my usual comfort space around that to just reach out to people and say, hey, I'm feeling this. And hey, this is what I'm thinking. Isn't that crazy? Or what do you think? Or just putting myself out there, making myself more vulnerable to it. And it really does help like nip it in the bud. So I'm just uh, continuing to try and be present to all of it and, you know, keep myself open to abundance. That's my jam right now. We've been reading the abundance prayer every night before bed. Oh my God, we have. It's kind of cute. And it's from Tosha Silver's book, It's Not Your Money. Yes, which I've talked about on the show before. It's an amazing prayer. Yeah, Brandon and I take turns reading it to each other at night. It's really helping. I think so too. I'm realizing for myself, if I can just slide into my check-in. Please do. Yeah, I want to hear. I'm definitely noticing now that I'm not using any substances, like I'm not smoking pot and I'm not drinking and I'm 100% present for whatever anxieties or doubts or like issues that I have that I thought I didn't have because um, like they would like start to perk up maybe, but then like by the time it got to like seven or eight o'clock at night, I would just like, you know, have a drink or smoke a joint and then like those anxieties would disappear. And so I never really got to meet them. They were always kind of lurking in the back. And so I've been facing, uh, some issues that I didn't think I had, but I do have around finances and around like abundance and scarcity. And I did a deeper dive into what some of those might be this past week around the eclipse actually. And I realized that a lot of my issues around money aren't just my issues, but they're ancestral. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to bring that up because it was really relieving for me to realize like, yes, you are a little broken around finances, but you're broken because you come from a lineage of people that are broken around finances in the first place. And I even went a little deeper just to think about, you know, I'm ancestrally Jewish on both sides, my mom and my dad's side, even though I don't necessarily practice Judaism as a religion. But I think about like the role that Jews had in society and there was a period of time where Jews were outcasts and black sheep and they weren't really allowed to engage in society in the workplace. But then they were allowed to engage in society by being like merchants and bank tellers. And so their power was around controlling money. And so there's this like old story for me around like control and not trusting that like abundance will come in because I think there's this legacy of like having to pinch pennies, having to be like really tight with money because that's how our power as a Jewish people was maintained for so long. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting just to start to unpack all of that and start to heal it in myself and recognize that I can trust because I have a lot of faith 
And I have a lot of confidence in the universe and the goddess and my helping and healing spirits to take care of me. And yet I'm having trouble putting that into practice. So it's like there's this intellectual belief that like, yes, I will be taken care of. But like in my heart and in my gut and maybe even in like the marrow of my ancestral spirit, there's a lot of fear and panic. And so just starting to work through that. And I journeyed for a ritual to start to release some of that. And I did it on the full moon eclipse. And it was powerful as fuck. And I feel like things are slowly, of course, because this stuff takes time. You know, patterns get started over a long period of time. They're not going to be rewritten in a day. But my teacher always says, give yourself permission that can happen quicker and more easily than you ever imagined. So I don't feel like I got to work this for a year. I think I could work this for a couple weeks and we could be in a whole new story. Love that. So before we head into our incredible spirit talk with the beautiful and radiant Elijah Stewart, we thought we would introduce a new segment, which is really just a new costume on an old segment. Yes. You might remember we did a segment called Medicine Bag. We just always felt weird about that name and it didn't sit right in our hearts, but we do want to be able to share the things that bring us alive and healing. And so this segment is now known as... Dose of Inspiration. So we're just going to share something that's been bringing us alive, the sweet medicine that we've been using to make our lives feel better. And I'm not going to talk about ice cream because I already (laughs) did. But I want to talk about my new tarot deck, which I'm going to use for our tarot card of the episode. But I don't buy decks that often. I really like to work with one deck for at least a year, sometimes longer, and really get to know it so that it becomes like a real companion. And there was this deck that I'd been following for some time. It's called the Oliver Hibbert Tarot. And he's an incredible incredible artist. It's very psychedelic. He has an oracle deck that I um, do own. And this deck came during eclipse season, and it is really deepening my tarot practice because he used the rider weight imagery as a jumping off point. But then the way that he does the artwork, it really expands those images to be a container big enough to hold everyone in this time. It's not as gendered. It's not as patriarchal. It's not even as um, ethnically specific as the Rider Waite, which is just like a bunch of white people hanging out in medieval times. And I am just loving this new deck as a means of deepening and reinvigorating me about the tarot because it's a practice and it's my job. I've been doing it for a really long time. And it's exciting when something comes in and just gives me a big boost of energy and makes me feel like a kid again playing with cards. Cool. And I just want to talk quickly about... uh, just queer television, which I'm really uh, happy to see a bit more of these days. Yes, and, queer television. Uh, an example of it is, and obviously want to see more of, by the way. We need a lot more, but it's a good start. Yeah. So uh, one that I want to talk about is Tales of the City, which is on Netflix. And it's actually based on a book series uh, called Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin, which I highly recommend reading. There's multiple books. Uh, he started publishing them just as short little story bits in uh, the San Francisco Chronicle in the 70s. And it was a very like serialized, soapy drama. And then PBS made uh, a mini series out of it in the mid 90s with Laura Linney. Yes, it was Laura Linney's very first role. And Olympia Dukakis. Yes, and she plays this like amazing matriarch of the whole series. 
Uh, so I highly recommend the books if you haven't read them. And uh, Armistead actually stopped writing them for a long time, but then started writing new ones in the last few years uh, that then they took and based this limited series off of. And it's really, really touching and fun and uh, you know, very poppy and has an amazing cast of characters and Ellen Page, Laura Linney and Olympia Dukakis uh, reprise their original roles and are a lot of fun on it. And there's just really great examples of different kinds of queer relationships at play. And it's just nice to see them told in ways that have a sophistication to them, that give voice to the complexity of these relationships in a way that I found really relatable and also fun. So I'd highly recommend it. And I also would just throw out, too, that Pose is back on, too. And it's definitely one that you all should be watching. Just there was a, you know, one of the more recent episodes just had like four black trans women sitting around a table talking. And I had to pause for a moment watching that episode just to look at a still of these four women sitting around a table and recognize that I was having the opportunity to watch this on television and shout outs to everyone involved with the show because it was also just nominated for a bunch of Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series. So to have it being recognized on a major level like that, it gives me chills. So I'm so grateful and excited uh, for all the work that Stephen Canals, who's one of the original show creators on that show, because uh, it was really his idea <laughs> to bring these characters, I think, to life. And he has done such an amazing job and the whole team behind it. But if you're not watching Pose right now, it's also just a really thought-provoking and, for the most part, fun time, though it gets pretty emotionally intense as well. So watch Pose, check out Tales of the City, maybe read the books, check out the artwork and the tarot deck of Oliver Hibbert. Yeah, hope you enjoy. And check out This Spirit Talk with Elijah Jade. Yeah, hope you enjoy it too. So this is our first interview of season two, and we couldn't be more excited to share it with you. So get ready for this episode's Spirit Talk! So we are here with the beautiful and talented and radiant Lija Stewart, one of my dear friends. So welcome, Lija, to the Spirit Room. Oh my gosh, thank you guys for having me. It is, the space in here just feels so magical and so grounded. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm honored to be here with you guys. Just a couple of witches on a Friday afternoon. You know. <laughs> just a casual Friday. And I just have to say, y'all can't see Lija, but she looks gorgeous right now. Her oh, hair is this like miraculous pink and she's got this amazing like third eye crystal and this astrology dress yeah with all the symbols of the zodiac on it she came full witch vibes i had to bring it out for my spiritual gaze oh i appreciate that it will be photographed and posted so that you all will get to see it yes we're gonna take a selfie after this angel and i will have to do a quick costume yes, change i want a noche selfie please yes you can have one <laughs> We have to give Noche a makeover sometime. Oh, yeah, some lashes. For yes. Sure. Oh, he'd look so good in lashes. <laughs> uh -uh. 
So Lija is an incredible makeup artist, and she's also a breathwork healer, and she's a queer witch, just like Angel and I. And she's one half of the Lipstick Queers with her partner, Yvonne. And so we just felt like it was a natural fit to bring Lija into the spirit room and just start to uh, open up a conversation about queerness and healing and beauty and creativity. So we're so excited to have you here. I mean, those are all my favorite things, so <laughs> this is the best day ever. Amazing. Yay. So I think the place I want to begin is I actually want to ask you about when did you first discover breathwork and what was like your healing journey around it? Yeah. So I first discovered breathwork in Brooklyn, New York at Maha Rose. Um, I was going to Maha Rose occasionally and taking a class, either like a new moon class or kind of uh, whatever was calling me in. And on Friday nights, Aaron taught breath work. And I thought to myself, well, you know, what, what is this? I went in, I laid down for my first time. I felt the energy of breath work and I was immediately enthralled in, I think the idea around feeling my own vibration in my body. And I think that's, what's so powerful about breath work. So I started taking Friday nights that I would normally like want to go out, maybe partying with friends or out to dinner with friends. And I, um, spent every Friday night going to breath work and I was probably about six months doing that. And then Aaron taught, um, an intensive, a level one intensive, and I signed up and uh, went in for a weekend and decided that I wanted to become a breathwork healer. That's nice. so cool. And for anyone who isn't fully familiar with breathwork, would want because you all met through yes, breathwork, we right? Met, we met um, through the rest of the levels. I guess I did level one with Aaron, and then uh, we went to New Mexico with David to finish the, yeah. the levels. Well, and we did, it was one through three in yeah. New Mexico. Yeah. So you did one twice. Yes. I mean, but we spent <laughs> redo. Yeah, so I met Lija in New Mexico a couple of years ago at our teacher David Elliott's incredible property in the Sandia Mountains, and we spent a week just breathing and spilling our guts and transforming oh, man, and sharing awesome. meals and tears and creativity. Uh, do you remember we were in a skit together? Oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> we had so much fun. We were in we were in a skit that was basically like a roast of our teacher, David. Totally. It was the real housewives of Sandia. And everyone was kind of, we all played these like, kind of like spiritual kind of archetypes-ish. Like it was really fun. Yeah. And we didn't know if David was going to kick us out after that, but he kept us. (laughs) Yeah, he kept us. And he still refers (laughs) to it. And I actually think, like, you know, it's a good roast when the person is like, oh, wow, that was kind of close to home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was laughing so hard. But at the same time, he was like, what just happened? Yeah, what just happened? Um, And breathwork is, how would you sort of crystallize it down? So I like to say breathwork is an active meditation where you are really pushing through stuck trauma in your body. You're releasing any negative beliefs through your body. And when I think when a lot of times when we think of meditation, we think of maybe sitting down and clearing our mind. And I think what makes breathwork so different is that you're using your breath and you're using that pattern of your breathing to connect to yourself, to connect to your own intuition. And so I feel like breath work is meditation, but it's meditation with a little like kick in the ass. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Because you're able to really go inside 
I feel touch kind of go within your intuition, but then at the same time, you're able to get some clear messages coming through. You're able to get some clear guidance coming through. Um, so for me, breathwork is the best way when I have a question, when I feel confused, when I feel lost, when I need inspiration, I lay down and I breathe. Mm. Yeah. And I would say for me, it feels like breathwork stirs up your shit. I love that. <laughs> so that you can notice where you are stuck. And like you said, it allows you to feel your own energy body. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first came to breathwork, all of these visualizations that I would do yes. to like ground or to, you know, heal my chakras or what have you. When I started doing breathwork, it was the first time that it was no longer an idea in my head. I literally felt my energy in mm -hmm. my body. And that was so exciting for me because if you're looking for proof, you know, of spiritual practice, breathwork gives you this pretty dramatic felt sensation. And it's not always pleasant. Like no. sometimes it's quite painful. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would be it, definitely you have sensations in your body of cramping in your hands, cramping in your feet. And um, sometimes I feel like different times, depending on what I'm going through, I might have like a lot of stuff going on in my stomach where I feel tensity in my stomach. Um, but I think that that's part of the process of really like pushing through. Um, Dave, it always says that breath work is work. And I think that that is something that when you think about spirituality, you don't always think about it being necessarily work, like pushing through to the next level. Totally. A lot of it's like, well, I just sit down and I, I'm Zen. And it's like, uh, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of barriers that we have to push through. And I think breath work is a very physical manifestation of that. Yeah. And I think it also allows our bodies to release all of that stored trauma, right. all of that ancestral trauma, mm -hmm. because our bodies never forget. Our bodies hold everything. Yeah. And so it's a really beautiful practice to help you kind of break through. Yeah. I feel like we spend so much time in our heads, totally. you know, and so I think the idea of getting into your body, feeling your own vibration. I mean, I remember the first time I felt that it almost scared me a little bit. I was like, what the fuck is that? What is that? What is that feeling? And when I realized that's my own vibration and I spend so much time being an empath and so much time being connected to other people's vibrational energy, it was like the being attached to my very own. I was like, oh, man, I'm powerful, first oh, of all. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really cool to feel that power within myself. It was it was very much an empowering moment um, to feel that energy flowing through my body. And then sometimes all sorts of really cool things happen during breath work, like visions yep. or connecting with different helping and healing spirits or totally. ancestral guides or there's all sorts of really, once you open up that portal, there's no telling what might there, be able to yeah, come through. Yeah, there really is no telling. I, um, I breathe, I would say now I breathe, I would say just when I need it, right? When I very first started doing breath work, I went in solid every day for an entire year. Oh my God, me too. I I, I think we talked about this before, but I, I think I would have days that felt so powerful. And then I would have days that felt, I would say like mundane. Is this thing on? Yeah. You Is know, this working? It's so funny how you want to like label even like spiritual practices, you want to label them as like good or bad. So it was like, mm -hmm. oh, that was a good breathwork session or that was a bad breathwork session. Um, but I think in going through that process, I really realized that 
that's kind of, that's life. You know, you have times that are super intense. You have times that are, are more kind of chill where you're held and, you know, everything feels really, really good. And then you have times that are a struggle and they're uphill. And I, I really felt like going through breathwork and doing that brought me to a place personally that I really trusted myself and I really trusted my own intuition and um, had less fear in my life in the way that I was willing to take risks and be um, seen in the yeah. world. Well, you could kind of trust yourself because you were showing up for the work. Right. Like you said, whether it was good day or a bad day, you still would, you know, get up and be like, okay, got to show up again. Right. Yeah. So. And I think also the cool thing about breath work is it's like, you know, you could do as little as seven minutes or, you know, you can breathe for 30 minutes. And I, and I stopped making excuses that I had made in my life. Um, and I just kind of would show up and I was like, it's seven minutes. Sometimes you're on like Facebook for seven minutes in the morning right. <laughs> or like doing some other non-beneficial activity. Um, and so I, I really, I really think I did. Yeah. I showed up for myself in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an important point for anyone that's listening that has some sort of spiritual practice is that some days it feels like there's fireworks and some days it doesn't. And that doesn't mean it's not working. Yeah. I think as a culture, we're really attracted to like the dramatic. We're attracted to like big, explosive drama. Like we love drama. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so when we have, you know, so it's like we think it's got to be like an exorcism or there has to be tears. And I remember when I was first working with clients, there were some clients where I'd be like, is anything even happening for them? Mm -hmm. Because they weren't crying or they weren't cramping or they weren't like having some sort of really intense experience. But then afterwards they would be like, you wouldn't believe like what I saw. Like I saw mm -hmm. my third eye or I, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, okay, this works. Like I can just trust the work. Yeah. Yeah. And that I everyone's going to receive it differently. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, as a healer, you kind of have to learn because I think sometimes it's just like just being there to hold space and not having to do things all the time, but just truly being in a being state for whoever you're sitting with or whatever group you're holding in that moment um, and not having expectations, releasing some of those expectations and, and releasing kind of the need to have those big moments. Totally. So what does it mean to you to be a healer? How do you connect to that word? You know, it's funny that you asked that because I think that um, at first I didn't really feel comfortable calling myself a healer because I, I was really attached to the... I, maybe maybe it would be the stigma that went to that. Like I needed to always be this uh, perfect person that was, you know, in alignment with my spirituality and, and, and you know, in a, saying the right things and doing the right things. And at the end of the day, I love to cuss like a trucker. Fuck's my favorite <laughs> word. And I, um, I feel most authentic when I am usually like a little more punk rock and a little bit more gritty. And I think coming into that authentic self on what a healer is, for me, it, it really means that I'm able to hold space for people and I'm able to create a space that feels safe for them to heal and feels safe for them to share what they need to share and release what they need to release. And I think once I took the focus off of me and, and being me and and put it on actually being a, a person who holds space for other people to heal, I felt comfortable using that term. Um, and I felt way more comfortable using that term more fluidly. Mm -hmm. Totally. It makes me think of the father of cups in the tarot because I always think of him as the healer of the deck. 
And so cups are like the things in our life that flow, and he's holding a cup that's big enough for other people. But you only get there by being able to hold that cup for yourself first. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it's like because you had the courage to face your own demons and to unpack your own trauma, now you can sit and witness other people's heavy, dark shit, Mm -hmm. and you're not scared of it. Yeah. And you're not turned off by it. Yeah. And you can be neutral and present and in a state of beingness for all that needs to come up and be seen and heard. Because I think a lot of our trauma, the reason why it unconsciously rules us is because we're not willing to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that most of us are afraid of it. Like we run from it because you know, a lot of it happened in our childhood or or maybe in our young adulthood. And I think when we have to face that again, it's like going back to that dark corner that you don't want to be back in. But when you can unpack that and when you can see other people unpacking that, I think, I think it's a sense also of like consciousness, collective consciousness, because, you know, we all have so much of the same experience that we don't always share and that we don't always talk about. And I, I I think I love that about being a healer. Mm hmm. So what was your path to spirituality? Like, Yeah. Did you grow up with any spiritual sensibility or was it a religious situation? Yeah. So I grew up, um, I would say, mostly Catholic. My mm-hmm. grandparents were extremely Catholic. And my mother was a little bit more kind of loose in her religious beliefs. Um, and I really started getting into Wicca at the age of probably 13. Oh my um, God, me so, too. <laughs> I, I, it's so funny. I grew up in a really small town in Arizona and there was this bookstore called Hastings and it had like eight I would say eight books on spirituality and like (laughs) I would like save up my allowance to buy these books and my mom was just like I have no idea what she's doing I'd be like I need a green candle and some sage Um, and I did you have friends who were into it too or was this like a a lone ranger situation it was very a lone ranger situation (laughs) because I knew that I wasn't uh, I knew that I I was afraid of of telling people that what I did because I was worried that they would judge me Um, my best friend would I would like if I had to have a spell or something where I needed two people, she would always help me. Um, it's the woman who her name's Hillary West. She's the one who who uh, made this beautiful ring for me. So mm-hmm. she was probably like my closest friend that was mm-hmm. a pac- practitioner with me. Um, but that was kind of I was into earth based religions. That's what called to me the most. And ironically enough, my grandmother, who was like highly Catholic, bought me my first tarot deck. Mm. Um, we went down to uh, the port in Los Angeles. And she took me to the Santeria shop and she bought me a tarot deck and she bought me a candle and she bought me a bar of soap um, for cleansing. So my grandmother, even though she was Catholic, she really was into um, the the mother of Guadalupe. She was really into the spirits and the deities within the Catholic. And so there's this um, gray area that like kind of exists in the Catholic religion, which is um, like Santeria and Catholicism. And those are kind of Santeria is really based in earth-based religion. So my, my, I feel like it's my lineage, um, to be kind of connected to witchcraft and witches. And I found it at a really young age. That's so cool. (laughs) And you know what? I would say that I, I left 
I left for a while because I was really into it when I was younger. And then my early 20s came and I think I I just kind of turned into like I was a little bit of an anarchist and I was really into like I, I said I wasn't religious at all. And it, it always felt wrong to say that. Like I said, I don't believe in anything. I don't have a spiritual path. And then um, I always felt lost, like there was a hole inside of me. And when I really got back into earth-based religions was when I started studying hands-on healing. And that's a really funny, crazy story too. Tell <laughs> us. Yeah, get into it, girl. <laughs> Tell us about so that. It's, so I was, um, I was living in New York and my mom and I were supposed to go on a vacation. This is, this is probably uh, like close to seven years ago. And we were going to go on a vacation. We both had this week off. It was right around my birthday. And she sent me an email and she was like, I know that we were supposed to go to Mexico and like drink on a beach for a week, but I found this, this healer training, just like watch this video and see if you would, it was something that you'd be into. And so I start watching it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so cool. This is so fascinating. Like, what is this? And, um, her name's Bear McKay is who I studied under and what she teaches is called the McKay method. And so we entered into the study. We had to go to Montana four times in one year for a week at a time. And we did like a crash course over a year of intuitive healing and hands-on healing. That was kind of, I would say my reconnection because when I got there, I realized and I, and I started learning kind of new ways to think about spirituality and new ways to, to redefine what religion looked like. Um, and I'm sitting in this room with like a seriously motley crew of different humans, right? <laughs> like there's like a rancher from upstate Montana. There's like me, like with weird hair and piercings and tattoos. There's my mom sitting next to me. I mean, it was such a unique group of people. And I, and I really saw that there, that, there is no, I don't need to be so caught up on what religion looks like. And spirituality can be defined in so many different kinds of ways. And it really took me back to um, just wanting to be connected and wanting to be connected to, to a consciousness. And that was kind of like my, that's kind of how I started going back to Maha Rose. And that's kind of like my whole spiritual path that I've been on. How amazing that your grandmother and your mother were so influential in your spiritual path. Yeah. It's really crazy because when I told, so my grandmother had bought me my first deck of tarot cards. My mom didn't know that. And probably like five years had gone by and she found some tarot cards. She's like, what are these? I'm like, they're tarot cards. She's like, who got them? Like, where'd you get these? And I was like, oh, Mimi got them for me. That's what I called my grandmother, her mother. She's like, what? I knew she was a witch. She used to be playing cards. <laughs> She's like, she used to be playing cards with all of her friends on a Friday night in the garage with the door closed, their candles lit. I was like, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of my my heritage for sure. Um, and if that's why it felt so wrong to be like, you know, renouncing any sort of religious beliefs at all, because I it, it was so much in my blood to be mm -hmm. a spiritual person and connected to the earth and um, and to be a healer and to hold space for people. It's it's like where I come from. Well, it seems like there's no going back now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> You're there. So it's like you have to come out of the closet as a queer person. Yes. And you also have to come out of the closet as a spiritual person. Yeah. <laughs> because we live in a culture where these sorts of things have been pushed underground. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if you would maybe just start to talk about 
not necessarily why you think that is, but just your own experience of all the ways you've had to come out. Yeah. So I, that's so true. I think there's lots of ways that we have to come out as human beings to be authentic and to mm -hmm. live our most authentic life. Um, for me, coming out as a queer person, um, again, I, I grew up in a really small town in Arizona, and I, I was always definitely bisexual, always attracted to both men and women, I would say fairly equally. Obviously, it's easier to choose to be with men when you're in those environments. Um, so I spent the first half of my year, my, my years, my probably mid-20s, being with uh, mostly men in a public way. Um, and then when I started openly dating women, it was, it was pretty, I would say easy for me. I didn't have much resistance from my family. Most of my friends were like, Oh, thank God you're a big lesbian. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was pretty easy for me, but I did have, um, a shift in some beliefs that I didn't know I had. So for instance, like we have these heteronormative beliefs that even as a liberal person, even as an open person, I didn't even know were mine, but I started being like, oh my gosh, like I can't just like have a baby when I want to have a baby. I can't just, you know, I get, I get looked at when I'm walking down the street with my partner. I have, I had all of these, these, these things come up for me that I was like, oh, I'm, I can't live a normal life. And I was like, but I don't want to live a normal life. Why am I prescribing to that? And that was really kind of questioning beliefs that I didn't even know were my own beliefs. And do you think that's because you had so much time spent on some level passing as yes, hetero? Totally. Yeah. And even today, my wife is super femme and I'm super femme. And like we go places and people ask, like, oh, like, are you you guys are best friends? Like, oh, you guys are sisters, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's, um, you know, like my wife is a little bit more like, I would say, you know, boisterous than me. So she's like, no, this is my wife. I'm a little bit more like, oh, she's my wife, you know? So, but I think people, and then people usually get awkward and uncomfortable. Um, but it's I interesting because Angel and I get that too sometimes. Oh, people yeah. will be like, are you guys brothers? Mm -hmm. And I want to be like, yeah, we're brothers. You fuck. <laughs> But like, I, I don't, it. I don't, <laughs> yeah, you're I'm a little more, I'm a little more totally. Yvonne. Yeah. I'm a little bit like, <laughs> all right, for sure. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I think, um, I think I came up on a lot of beliefs that I just, I didn't even know I would need, um, help questioning on, you know, um, the white picket fence, the husband that goes to work, the wife that stays home, things that I literally didn't even think were part of my system. They were ingrained inside of me just from living in the United States, just from being a, a, a born cis female. Um, and, and they still sometimes they came up again with our wedding. Like, you know, you have these things that come up that you don't even realize have been embedded in you from from society that we've grown up in. Yeah. Um, so coming out as gay was very easy for me. I would say coming out as spiritual and a witch has been harder. Talk about that, please. Um, and I and I think it's because there is a stigma with saying I am a witch that people don't feel comfortable with. It's it's actually like an unsettling feeling that you can palate when you say that. Um, if I say I'm gay, it's a little uncomfortable. If I say I'm a witch, it's a lot uncomfortable. 
It's an intensity that kind of happens in the room that people are like, huh, are you going to put a spell on me? Are you going to cast a wicked spell on me? Right. Because right, we have so many pre- <laughs> preconceptions around right. that based off, yeah, just even all the way down from childhood. Right. Yeah. Of what that means. I think that until you start actually saying that, so you start saying, I'm a feminist, that's another one, coming out as a feminist and saying, hey, I'm a feminist, I'm a witch, I'm a queer person. All of those things are like an attack on our heteronormative society that we live in on our patriarchal society that we live in. And I think so it's, it um, makes people that aren't fully comfortable with themselves be very even more uncomfortable with the situation. Well, it seems to me that queerness and what would be labeled new age healing practices, even though what we know is they're ancient age healing practices (laughs) are two things that really challenge the story that contemporary society has been selling us to keep us asleep. Yeah. That there's one way to do things. There's one way to fill that hole, which is to buy, yeah. which is to eat, which is to drink and smoke and fuck and get famous. Yeah. And as soon as you say, no, I'm somebody who's choosing to live my life in a different way outside of the story that I've basically been brainwashed into since birth, all of a sudden people go, oh no. Like there's something almost unconscious in them that realizes, oh, I'm a little bit asleep too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're starting to see now is that each and every one of us that has the courage to come out of the closet in whatever way we need to is empowering everybody else to come out of their own closet. Yeah. So. Yeah. And those of us who have to come out on some level, I mean, it's such a strengthening tool. I mean, how often do we have to come out as well? I feel like I have to come out on a daily week, as at least a weekly basis. Right. On some level, I'm in some sort of public setting and I either have to reference my husband or reference being an astrologer or both, yeah. you know, and on some level having to grow into that place of being more comfortable, being able to say it without that guttural feeling. I mean, it's such a journey of personal growth. Yeah. I I feel like I, I, the path that I'm really on right now is, um, not making excuses for taking up space and being who I want to be in, in every environment. And I think sometimes, you know, being an empath, I can, the old version of me would want to make other people more comfortable before myself. And so coming out of the closet in that way and maybe like offending people. And I'm saying that in air quotes, um, was, was hard for me in every way. Do you feel like when you come out when you have to say like, Oh, my husband, do you feel like people look at you like, Oh, you know, I don't feel that as much anymore, but I think I was always looking for it before. Yeah. When I was, you know, when I was more insecure around it. Yeah. 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 Whereas now I don't even really take the time to notice. I just now move on with the rest of the statement. Yeah. But I do feel like in the past, when I would say those things, I would almost take a pause. Get like, ready for it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> who? Someone going to throw a shoe at me? You know, like what's going to happen? But yeah, now I feel the pause comes before. Right. Because I'm like, I'm like oh, here's that moment yeah. where I it's have to introduce fun. myself. It's and now little, I, yeah, I kind of get off on yeah, it Yeah, it's a little bit fun. Yeah, I like doing that too. Yeah, but we also live in 
Los Angeles, True. where it is, for the most part, a much safer place. Yeah, I don't know if I lived in your small town in Arizona yeah. or a small town in Texas or where have you. That would be a much more challenging situation for that. But yeah, I was back with my dad. He passed about two years ago. But um, when, when he got sick, I went and I spent uh, the last three months of my life with him. And I would say my dad was pretty much um, the pinnacle of like masculinity, you know, kind of um, just just a product of the United States society and the way they've raised men to be. And to see, you know, I just, I basically told my dad, Hey dad, I'm marrying a woman. Um, and to see his reaction, he was like, Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, all right. That's awesome. And so, you know, we had a little bit of conversation around it and he didn't want to ask me anything about like when I started being with him and nothing like that, but he did want to know, like he, he started getting uncomfortable when I, when his friends would say, oh, that's so gay, you know? So we were sitting in his, in his room and one of his friends was talking about, oh, you know, I don't like that, man. That's so gay. And my dad goes, Hey, watch that. Watch that. Don't say that. That's offensive to people. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that my dad is like, you know, someone who I've literally heard say a hundred times was able to be like, you know, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. My daughter's gay. You know, and so that I think, I think people can change. I think by coming out, we can soften the people that we love. I think that we can open people up to new possibilities about what a gay person looks like, what Oh, like what a witch looks like, what a feminist looks like. And I think that's kind of our job. That's kind of a responsibility to be like really standing up and showing the best versions of those people and those things, those oh, titles. Yeah, a hundred percent. I feel grateful to have gotten to a place where I can stand up and make those statements without fear or regret. Uh, Whereas, yeah, in the past, it was so much more challenging because I do feel a responsibility to be one of those people who can do that and then hopefully inspire yeah. others. Yeah. I mean, we have to be reminded, we, it was just my um, my cousin's bachelorette party last weekend, and she's 26 and all of her friends are like white from Chino, California. And, you know, we, we go to this situation, this, it's a bridal shower, right? So it's very much, um, prescribing to heteronormative beliefs. And, um, it was interesting to see Yvonne and I there looking as Yvonne and I do tattooed and crazy hair and super dykey, you know, to them, especially, um, <laughs> and just seeing like how uncomfortable we made people. And I kind of thought it was a little bit funny. I was having fun seeing my wife over and over again and holding her hand and like seeing people like eating their popcorn, clutching their pearls. <laughs> 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 and also at the same time, I was like, you know what? You can't get irritated with them. They don't know. And so if we're the first example of someone that like, maybe I look like a witch or maybe I look goth or maybe I look gay, like I want to set the best freaking example possible. Cause maybe you've never even been close to someone like that. You know, maybe you've never even had the opportunity to spend time with someone like that. And so I really do try to go, I would say I try to be a good example. My therapist is always talking to me about the fact that queer people throughout history have been the priests and the priestesses to kind of stand in between the invisible world and the visible world and to remind people that there's more than what is visible. And if you think about it, there have been queer people since the beginning of time. And from an evolutionary perspective, 
if we weren't supposed to be here, queer people wouldn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. survival of the fittest. Right. But queer people keep showing up throughout history. And it's been spoken about that we carry the altruism gene. Mm. That like what queer people bring is we don't have to just take care of our own biological children. We'll take care of anybody. Mm -hmm. Because that's something that we have just in like the marrow of our spirit that we just want to help and heal and grow and also beautify. I love that. And that brings me to wanting to talk about your work as a makeup artist because I think you heal in that capacity as well. You heal through beauty. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I was even thinking when you were talking about being a healer and sort of creating a safe environment for people to embrace their authenticity that felt exactly akin to what that experience of making someone yeah. up or over must also be like to some degree. Totally. And I think that's probably what drew me into makeup in general was like making people feel great about themselves, making people, you know, I always say makeup is like our veil to the world, right? It's, it's the way we paint ourselves to present ourselves to the world or not paint ourselves. Maybe it's just a lipstick or maybe it's a full drag beat. Whatever you feel great in is what I think the idea of beauty should be. And I love that about makeup. I love how empowering it can be. Um, I, I love the way a red lipstick can make someone feel like a fucking bitch or a slut or like a powerhouse going into an interview, right? So I just, I think that makeup has this ability and this spirit to bring people truly to the way they want to be seen. And I love that about makeup. And I think that's evolving for me. I think when I started, I mean, I've been doing makeup for 15 years. So I think when I started, it was more about, um, you know, trends and like looking good and helping people look good. Now it's definitely evolved to more of an expression. And I feel like um, it's taken my career in another way, too, because I, I'm usually attracting artists that are into evoking some sort of um, idea. Maybe they're launching a new album or maybe they're working in a new character. Right. And they're wanting to build this new idea of who they want to be seen as. Um, and that's definitely the kind of work that I love to do. Um, and that's the way I like to express myself, too. That's what Lipstick Queers is all about, is kind of expression through makeup. I think that makeup for years was used to oppress women. And it was used, I mean, it has the longest history, but in, in our time, in, in the, I would say, like, the 19th century to the 20th century, makeup really started as an oppression of women in the late 1900s. And it kind of was like this cookie cutter look that every woman needed to wear and needed to look like. And it was also about pleasing her man and looking a specific way. And I think that makeup has just like really broken all the boundaries on that because it has nothing to do about what anyone wants you to look like anymore. It's really about expression. And we're living in this time of Instagram and we're living in this time again of cookie cutter makeup, but in a very different way, right? And what I like to say to people is, Paint yourself what makes you feel great. Express yourself through makeup. Let it be your art form. Let it be your church. Sit down with a brush. Sit down with some color. Um, get really dirty and have fun. Mm-hmm. Because it so comes amazing. off. It's not a tattoo. It totally comes off. You can wash it right off. 
Would you talk a little bit about Lipstick Queers, which is your collaboration yeah. with your wife, yeah. Yvonne? Yeah, totally. So we started Lipstick Queers as kind of a statement around um, being two femme lesbians together, because as we were talking about earlier, you can really fly under the radar of people not knowing that you're necessarily queer. And we were able to do that. We started our relationship at work, actually. So taboo. <laughs> and uh, we, we started dating secretly off and on. And we were really able to keep it a secret. And I think partially it was because we looked like two best friends, two femme girls, um, kind of flew under the radar in that way. Um, so I think we were passionate about creating a platform that where femme lesbians were really seen and using makeup, using wigs, using costumes to be able to express ourselves. So we do these, like, I would say like my wife would want to say complimentary looks, not twinning. Where <laughs> um, we play with the same color palettes, we play with the same looks, and we do these kind of statements in the looks that we do. They're um, amazing. Yeah, we love really to do are. it. It's, it's are you just at Lipstick Queers on Instagram? It's at Lipstick Queers, yeah. You guys, you got to check it out. Yeah. It's so gorgeous and it's so luscious and sensual, mm -hmm, very it's, editorial, but we, also <laughs> sometimes edgy and like yeah. pushing the envelope and like sexy as fuck. We try not to like be any one thing. We try to just like have a lot of fun with it. And sometimes it's just that we want to create and sometimes it's that we want to say something. And I would say it varies. Like sometimes it's like, okay, we have a political statement that we want to say or we want to play with these colors because we're supporting trans, the trans community. Sometimes it's around that. And sometimes it's just like, you know what? We want to like be really fun and super cute and do a really cool look. And we really try to bring femme queer visibility alive on our page. So we do a lot of making out. We do a lot of touching and we do a lot of makeup looks. Yes. <laughs> so who doesn't love all of that? Wow. All things we should be doing more of on our Instagram, honey. Making right. out. <laughs> and touching. And makeup looks. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Brandonna's here for it. Brandonna Summers, come through with that lipstick, girl. Well, and I just want to awesome. say, you know, Brandonna's been through a couple different iterations. And it was a year ago when Lija and Yvonne came over and really helped elevate Brandonna's look from like 2.0 to 3.0. And it really felt like a healing and it gave me so much confidence in this character but really Brandonna's more than a character she's this extension or expression of a part of my soul that doesn't always get airtime in this like boy body with this scruffy face and I experienced firsthand the power of what it feels like to be shown and given the tools of how to paint your soul mm -hmm. right like of course we're put we're literally putting something on the face but what we're putting on the face is really an attempt to bring out what is unseen. Totally. And it was really magical for me to have that experience. And I'm really grateful to both of you for oh, that. Oh, man, that's wonderful. I, I love the way you explain that because I feel like that's kind of the way it is. That's kind of the way makeup should be. It really is drawing out how you want to be seen in the world. It's funny that we're talking about this because when I very first went down a spiritual path and I started studying hands-on healing and I started um, studying breath work, I actually stopped wearing makeup during that time and I stopped dyeing my hair crazy. <laughs> so I, I decided I have really curly hair naturally. So I decided I wanted to just like go back to the most authentic version of myself. And I had spent so many years changing the way I looked. I mean, I started, I remember I plucked my eyebrows when I was 11. My mom came home and told me I looked like an asshole and that she wasn't going to help me. And I was like stuck with these like 90s thin pencil eyebrows. So sun in in the hair, bleach. As soon as I could get my hands on some bleach, I was dyeing my hair. So that started at a very young age. And then I went through this whole transformation 
transformation where I was like, I'm not going to do anything to myself. I don't want to wear makeup. Obviously, I was working in the world of cosmetics. So I had to wear like a little bit, but it was like a big step down because I really wanted to um, take off the mask that I had been wearing. And once I did that, I realized I was like, oh, this isn't a mask. This is the way I want to present myself in the world. And so it was like, but I had to like strip it all down to build it back up because it felt like a mask at the time. It felt like I was hiding behind something. And now I spend all this time changing the way I look like all the time and loving it and, you know, not being apologetic for showing up and being like really high glam and also super spiritual and super earthy. And you can be all of those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to learn that. So the last conversation I want to have with you before we have to start wrapping things up is because we're talking so much about creativity and our teacher believes that when we don't express the creative energy that builds up inside us, it turns against us mm-hmm. and it can manifest as addiction or depression. And I'm just wondering if you would be comfortable talking about your experience with your own creative energy, because I think we're both two people that have a lot of creative energy <laughs> Yeah, and how you have to work to express it and manage it so that it doesn't turn stale and sour. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that we are all creative beings and it's creativity is uh, is very loaded because I think if you, you know, if you got 30 people into a room and you asked who feels like they're creative here, I would I would bet that only half the people in the room would raise their hands, mm-hmm. which is a load of shit. Everyone is creative. Everyone has a creative spirit. It's, it's, it's our innate ability to be humans on this earth. It's how we've survived for this long is creativity in the way that we kind of embody our ourselves on this earth. And so I think creativity is something that I feel like has to be practiced and it has to be honed and it has to be trusted. And you need to feel the calling when it comes up. And I think that can be very hard for adults because there's been a point in every person's life. It happens around the age of like six years old. It might happen in an art class. It might happen in even like a PE class, right? Where you decide, oh no, I'm athletic or I'm creative or I'm book smart, right? And we attach ourselves to these labels. And right there and then in those young little baby bodies, we decide who we're going to be in the world. And I'm a big believer that you are, if you're not being creative, you're not fully engaging who you are on this planet. And so I love the idea of helping people find their creativity, of helping people reactivate what it feels like to be creative, of letting go of those limiting beliefs around what it is to be a true creative being. Um, My wife and I have something we call the Creative Makeup Boot Camp. So it's obviously makeup related, but it's also spirit related. And the reason why we combine both of those is I've been teaching makeup for 10 years. I would have the same students come into my class year after year and say, I'm here for the creative workshop again. And, you know, they take the creative workshop and I do the demo and they would leave and they'd have another year of not feeling creative. And I realized that is because creativity comes from within. You haven't gotten rid of those limiting beliefs. You haven't gotten rid of the story you've been telling yourself since you were five years old that you're not a creative person. But now you've spent thousands of dollars taking classes on being creative. And so at the Creative Makeup Bootcamp, what we really focus on doing is honoring the creative being. We say it's not about being creative. It's about the creative being. 
That's our that's our tagline, if you will. Well, sign me up. I'm taking it. <laughs> Next time you do it in Los Angeles, I'm there. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think I think creativity is our God our God given gift. If you're not using it, you it will manifest as something that could be dark, that could be negative, negative thoughts, negative self talk, or negative behaviors too. Beautiful. Lija, you are such a delight. You are an incredible healer and just your presence is a healer, I want to say. So I'm sure when people get their makeup done by you and they don't even know that you have this other life as a healer and a witch, they come away changed. Thank you so much, guys. I absolutely love being here with you guys. I love the podcast. I learned so much about tarot on the podcast. Oh, Thank great. you. So much about astrology on the podcast. All right, so we're getting ready for the tarot card of the episode. So take a moment and get centered, get quiet, get ready to receive this message. Can connect to these cards just by hearing the sound of them being shuffled and just know no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode, this is the message that you need to hear right now. And now I'm going to go spread them out for Elijah and she's going to pick one. All right, she has chosen the card. <laughs> Here we go. So, Lija just pulled for us the King of Wands. Hey. The King of Wands is double fire, fire of fire, and I think of King of Wands as like the wizard or the witch of the deck. Technically, I always go like the Queen of Wands is the witch and the King of Wands is the wizard, but that's so heteronormative. Fuck that shit. <laughs> But this is fixed fire. And so it also makes me think about Leo season because that's what we're about to move into in this time and place. But the King of Wands is really the master of all the things that spark in our life. Sexuality, creativity, and spirituality, which is pretty amazing considering those are the three things that we really talked about. You know, your queerness, your creativity, and your ability to change and heal. So... The King of Wands knows how to do this for themselves, and because they knew how to do this for themselves, they can do it for others. So the King of Wands is somebody who really knows how to empower others and how to make magic happen for others because they know how to make it happen for themselves. And there's a tremendous amount of confidence and charisma, and I would just say raw, unbridled power. Just think about what happens when fire meets fire. It's this explosion. And remember that fire can transform and it can initiate, but it can also release. So the Father of Wands or the King of Wands is not limited. You are not limited in any way, shape, or form. Know that you have the ability to think of yourself in this way as somebody that can make magic in the world and that you have the fire available to release those things that need to be released and to initiate those things that need initiating in your life, but it's not just for you. All of the kings in the tarot are about using your gifts for other people. It brings up that altruism as well. And that when we know how to do something for ourselves, it's our duty, our responsibility to do it for other people. So wherever you are, empower those around you. Share what you know. Share your gifts. Share your skills. Share your insights with the world. Don't harbor them to yourself. Don't be a greedy, greedy bitch. And with the energy of the King of Wands, you can create whatever you want to create. And there is magic afoot. There is an electricity around you. I always think when we're embodying King of Wands energy, it's like a King Cobra snake. It's like somebody that walks into the room and all the heads turn and it just crackles with power. And of course, you decide whether to use that power for good or for not so good. You know, it's 
up to you to make sure that you're not a king of wands in a way that you're manipulating other people or that you're maybe using emotional or spiritual sorcery to get people to do the things that you want. You want to find a way to empower people to be their best and to collaborate with you and to bring out the best for everyone. And the King of Wands, I think, knows like when you trust your subjects, if we're thinking of a kingdom, or you trust your employees or your collaborators to do their best, then what comes out of that is something even greater than you could have imagined. So it's about releasing your need to manipulate an outcome and rather trusting the power of everyone involved. Beautiful, honey. Perfect. Exciting. I mean, what an amazing poll, Elijah. <laughs> you and Yvonne are totally kings of wands. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think that that is uh, really, it was really powerful the way you were describing that. I mean, I, f- I feel like sometimes that Leo energy that comes up when you walk into a room, it's like you walk into a room and you can just like, okay, what am I here? I'm here to take up space. I'm here to be the best version of myself. And I feel like sometimes that's really alive in me. And sometimes it's it's a little bit more dormant. But this card just inspired me to take up some really big space. Yeah, because it's not about you at the end of the day. You have to take up that space because that's your birthright. And it's like what we were talking about when other people see you in your gorgeousness and your fabulousness and your punk rock and your tattoos and your makeup and your hair. It empowers them to expand into the full container of their essence as well. Mm-hmm. Love that. So it's like when you don't allow yourself permission to be who you really are, you never know the ripple effect. There was maybe somebody in that meeting at that party that needed to see you as you are so that they could be who they are, you know? Like, Grace Jones had inspirations too, even if she doesn't admit it. You know what I'm saying? Like... Everybody had somebody that made them go, oh, there's another bigger, better way to be in the world that honors who I really am. Love that so much. And that's really the Leo Aquarius polarity is that like Leo's all about me, but it's really not about you. It's about you for the collective. And Aquarius needs to remember that sometimes like it is about you or else you're going to be a martyr, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you need both. You need the balance. Yeah. Serving the collective through being your most authentic self. Preach. Enough said. Okay. <laughs> well, we want to give a big thank you to all of you gazers for being out there, for connecting with us. And we hope you enjoyed this spirit talk as much as we have enjoyed spending this hour with Lija. We want to give a big thank you to Juan who is our new sound editor and mixer for making us sound so gorgeous. Yeah, and and let's take a moment, actually, though, to thank our neighbor Carl for his last year of helping us out so much. We've been so grateful to him for all the work that he's put into us and all the support. So thanks, dude. Yeah, we love you, our neighbor Carl. Until next time, my loves, this has been your transit through the the spiritual spiritual gaze. gaze. Yeah.